Well, it's really good to see everybody. It's been a long time. I, I hadn't seen y'all since before, the, I guess, November, maybe around Thanksgiving time. It's been a, quite a while. And today we're going to try to answer a question from Miss Lori that she asked three months ago and we never got to. Um, we've been studying the life of Christ, and we've been doing it through a harmony of the Gospels, which means we've been looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've been taking all four of their stories and combining them together into one chronological uh, story of the life of the earthly ministry of Jesus. And so when we finished up last time together, we had gotten to a point in Jesus's life um, known as the Mount of Transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration. And what I thought I would do is really quickly read the entire text for you, and then we're going to focus mainly on the end of the text today. But this would be Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17, and uh, let's pray and get started. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your compassion and your mercy and grace on broken sinners like us. Um, help us, Lord, to recognize our, our desperate need for you. Uh, for your truth and for your word and for your love and your compassion and mercy. And I pray that each person here hearing this today will, will receive that. And so be with us now. Um, help us to know you better. Help us to grow in your truth. Help us to become more like your son, Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So it says in uh, Matthew chapter 17, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, uh, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said to them, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell this vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Okay, so just some quick highlights of things that we had talked about in the past, back uh, last fall. Um, Jesus takes Peter, James, and Don. John, these are three of his closest disciples. And he has an intimate moment with them where he takes him apart from everyone else and allows them to see him in his transfigured state, in his in his uh, uh, glory, in his white apparel. Can you what a beautiful sure. And so it says that Jesus is there, and Moses and Elijah were with him, and speaking with Jesus. So one of the things that we really need to make sure we grasp. 
uh, as we study today's lesson, is that in the Bible, Moses, y'all remember Moses, he's the one that wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And um, throughout the redemptive narrative, throughout the Bible, Moses is a picture of the lawgiver and the law. He's always a picture of the lawgiver and the law. Now, who is the true lawgiver? God. God. Good. And who is, uh, what is the purpose of the law? To, to drive us to Christ, to show us our sin, to remind us of judgment to come when we disobey him, right? And so all through the Bible, Moses is pictured as the lawgiver. And the law, and if you remember on uh, a mountain, remember at Mount Sinai, that God gave Moses the law. He gave him the Ten Commandments. And so in this transfiguration scene, we have Moses, who is a type of the lawgiver or the law. Now, who is Elijah, and what is he a type of? What is, it, what is Elijah's role? Elijah was one of the greatest what? Prophet. prophets. That's exactly right. Now, Moses was a prophet as well. And in and, and the, the books of Moses, it tells us that one day a greater prophet is going to come along than Moses, pointing to Jesus himself being the greatest of the prophets. But in the Old Testament era, Elijah was a picture of the greatest prophet. He was... Uh, he was well known for his miracles. He was well known for his preaching. He was well known for his willingness to stand against the evil of the day. Okay. So he, you're saying he was a picture of Jesus. Well, they both are. Because who is the greatest prophet? I have a question. Because <coughs> it, it, it specifically separates the two. So, so Elijah must come. Elijah was a prophet. Lord, you're, you're ahead of the story again. Right. We're going to get there. I promise. Well, We're going I, to get I there. Got... All right. I'm, I'm just setting some groundwork for this. So <laughs> Moses is the lawgiver. Moses is the one through whom God used to give the law to his people, remember? Right. And Elijah is a prophet, the greatest of the prophets in the Old Testament prophets. Now, both Moses the lawgiver and Elijah the prophet point us to who? Jesus, who is the true lawgiver, and who is the great prophet, the great spokesman of God. So, you have the Old Testament prophet and lawgiver. You have Jesus, right? Now, what is the role of the prophet? The role of the prophet is to speak for God, right? right? To take God's words and give them to the people. And not only to take God's word and give it to the people, but what is God's word? How can God's word be separated? Number one, it can be separated into the law. And the second part of God's word is the gospel, the good news. So the law condemns us. The gospel reminds us that there is salvation in Christ from our condemnation. Okay? So you have Elijah who is a prophet. And what does he do? He stands against the current time remember ahab and jezebel they were wicked evil people and they were idolaters and they had had brought the whole nation into idolatry and so what did elijah do he comes and he stands before them and he calls them out in their sin 
Not only does he call them out in their sin, but he reminds them of the law as well, doesn't he? Right? So a prophet is one who speaks for God. And when he speaks for God, he reminds people of God's righteousness and our unrighteousness and our need for God's righteousness in our lives. And the prophets always called people to repent, to turn away from their wickedness and turn back to God. Yes, ma'am. What is idolatry? Idolatry means to look for something in the creation to provide for me the things that only the Creator can. So... Um, we are to worship God and Him alone. Mm-hmm. And the first commandment said, The Lord your God is a jealous God. Mm-hmm. You shall have no other gods before Him. Mm-hmm. So anything that is not God, is not the Creator, that we worship becomes a God in our life spelled with a little g. Mm-hmm. So an idol is anything that takes God's place in our life. Okay, so I don't, so anything that we look to to give us the things that God is supposed to give us, when we pour our emotions and our feelings and our hopes and our dreams and our cares and our desires and our passions into something in the creation, we have turned our back on the Creator and we are now worshiping the creation instead of the Creator. So idolatry is to worship the creation instead of the Creator. It's to, to turn away from God and to worship the world around us. What letter does idolatry start with? I. I, and who is usually the biggest false god in your life? You. Who is it that usually gets in between you and your true worship of God? It's you and your desires. Every day we fall because we chase after our own lust, and we chase after our own desires, and we seek to... be. We seek to be the provision for our own satisfaction without God. So an idol or an idolater is someone who worships idols. An idol is anything in the creation that drags us away from God. And so, uh, Lord, just mentioned that drugs and alcohol are one of the greatest forms of idolatry that there are in the world, right? I can see that. The the whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing, like all of that is about self. And it's about turning away from God and depending on yourself and your own Blatantly physical desire. Yeah. <laughs> and so remember that God is the source of life. And when we turn our backs on the source of life, what are we now facing? Death. Death. And, we, and so anytime we turn away from God and seek for the creation to give us life, it destroys us. God is light. When we turn away from him, we wind up in the dark. God is love. When we turn away from him, we wind up in hate. How many broken relationships have we been in our lives that we identified as love and we looked for some person to give us the satisfaction and the peace and the hope that only God can give? You know, So all proper relationships between a man and a woman have to have God in the center of it. Because if not, if God is not the center of your relationship, then who is? Either you or the other person. And there is no person that can provide for you only the things that God can give. And so once God becomes the center of that relationship, then there's balance and peace and harmony in it because it's God that is glorified in it and not us. And so I hope that answers. That's what, so, okay. All right. So, um, so to skip down to what we're going to talk about today, we want to look and try to answer Lori's question. Um, let's look. Um, in verse 10, his disciples asked Jesus. Now, this is after they've come down off of the mountain. That The disciples ask, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? All right, that's a question. 
Jesus answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Okay, so the first thing we need to understand is that Jesus, when he says that Elijah uh, must come, Elijah is coming, and Elijah has come. He says all three of those things in that statement. Look at verse 10. Elijah must come first. And my question is, I, Elijah I was a created man. <laughs> so for him to come and restore all things. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll try to answer that. All right. So in verse 10, Elijah must come first. And then in verse 11, what does it say? It says, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But in verse 12, Elijah already came. And then in verse 13, he was speaking about John the Baptist. So there's four things that we want to work through today. Elijah must come. Elijah is coming. Elijah has come. Elijah is John the Baptist. All right. So we want to, if we can, if we can work through those four things, and maybe we can get an answer to the question: How could Elijah be coming and have already come and is has come and be John the Baptist? And be John the Baptist. Our souls okay. are our souls right. alone. So, um, the in Matthew, turn with me really quick. Let's let's read that one more time just to make sure we understand what we're reading. Verse ten of chapter seventeen. His disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already came and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished, so also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. So at the top end of that text and the bottom end of that text, we do understand that Jesus is referring to John the Baptist as Elijah. Jesus is referring to John the Baptist as Elijah. <clears throat> so let's turn back to um, really quickly um, to Matthew chapter 3. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 3. A couple pages back to your left. And let's look at verses 3 and 4 and see what it says here. Matthew chapter 3. Okay. Okay. I will start in verse 1. This is Matthew chapter 3. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent. What does it mean to repent? To turn away from sin and self and to turn to God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make straight his path. Now John himself had a garment of camel hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Alright, so John is living in the wilderness. He has a camel skin coat with a leather belt. And he's living off of the wild things of the land. Now, why is Matthew making sure we understand this? Several reasons. One, Elijah was known as a hairy man. He was known as a wild man. 
the people thought he was crazy because he lived out in the woods and he would come out and call people out on their sin and and go and, and confront kings with their their wickedness you see and so there is a definite resemblance between John the Baptist and Elijah in the way that Elijah lived his life but there's something more important there <clears throat> but he's not the same person no he is not the okay. same person but he is fulfilling the same what role, role. Right. what is he He's a prophet, all right? Moses was the lawgiver. That points us to Christ, who is the true lawgiver. Elijah was a prophet. That points us to Christ, who is the prophet. Elijah, uh, uh, John, is playing the same role that Elijah played. He is a prophet who is calling people to repent, reminding them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and reminding them to turn from sin and self and to turn to God. Okay? So he's in the same role as Elijah. But look at verse 10. Keep your finger there in 3. And then look back at verse chapter 17, verse 10, where it says, The disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come? Well, number one... <clears throat> The expectation of Elijah's return has been derived through Old Testament prophecies. See, throughout the Old Testament, it was prophesied that Elijah would return and proclaim that the Messiah had arrived. Elijah was taken up without dying? Yes. Okay. Right? So, in the Old Testament, there are prophecies that said that Elijah will come and return, and when he does, he's going to proclaim that the Messiah is here, and then the Messiah would appear. So the people in Israel were definitely looking for the return of Elijah. You see how that works? Now, what I want to go, I want to go back, and I want to look at a couple passages in the Old Testament, and let's look at those prophecies. So turn with me to Isaiah And let's look at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Chapter 40, verse 1. You ready? Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and let every mountain and hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. Okay? So it's picturing uh, crying out to the people of God and saying, God has judged you. 
God's hand has judged you, but His comfort is coming. And there's a voice in the wilderness that is crying out and saying that that comfort is, is here. It has arrived. All right, now go, go a couple hundred years later. Let's look over at Malachi, the last of the Old Testament prophets. Is that the last book in the Old Testament? Yes, last book, right before Matthew. Malachi what? Malachi, and we're going to look at verse chapter 3. Malachi 3 and verse 1. See, I may, I may be telling you the wrong verse. Mm-mm. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare a way before me. Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> All right. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, I now Malachi is calling the people of Israel back to God. He in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and uh, uh, in, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he's he's putting them on blast for cheating God, for not coming and worshiping him at the temple, for not giving the tithes, for their hearts not being in the right places. So what is Malachi? He's a prophet. What is he doing? He's pointing out the people's sin and calling them to repentance and calling them back to God. And then in Malachi 3, he says, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So the messenger will clear the way. Now, remember that Isaiah passage? What did it say? All of the valleys would be lifted up and the mountains will be laid low. What happens if you lift all the valleys up and push all the mountains down? Everything is level. Looks like Florida. Right, right. There you go. Except it's a picture of God bringing justice and equality to to the the world. And what is he saying? There's going to be a voice in the wilderness that's going to cry out and say, clear away before me. But that's John the Baptist, not Elijah. Hmm? But Elijah was doing the same thing. Elijah was right. proclaiming for the people to turn back to God. So they had to use Elijah because they didn't know who John the Baptist would be, but they knew there was going to be somebody like him. <clears throat> almost. You're almost there, Lori. That's really good that you point that out. Because let's go over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Are we done in Malachi? Yes, we're done in Malachi for for a moment. So look in John chapter. John chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 19. This is the testimony of John. That's John the Baptist. This is the testimony of John the Baptist. When the Jews sent to him the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem and asked him, Who are you? And he confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed and said, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he answered, I am not. I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. But he was. Then they said, not the prophet. Oh, oh. Okay, so the prophet is someone that they're looking for to come. Because Moses, back in Deuteronomy, said that one day a greater prophet than me is coming. 
And Moses was considered the greatest of the prophets. And Moses had prophesied to them that one day the prophet would come. No, it's Jesus. That's exactly right. And not only that, so who is the great lawgiver in the Old Testament? Moses, but Moses pales in comparison to the one who truly gave him the law. Right. Right. All right. So Moses is a type of the law because Jesus is created man. Sure, he's a man, but Jesus is the lawgiver. Elijah and John the Baptist are both prophets, Mm -hmm. but they pale in comparison to the prophet. So. Is John the Baptist, when they ask John the Baptist, are you Elijah? What does he say? No, I'm what? Just like you said, he's who? I'm John the Baptist. But he is playing the role of Elijah, is he not? Because he's confronted. So it was very hard for them that they're being blamed for not recognizing when he did come, but John told them, no, I'm not. Look, uh, good. Y'all heard what the Lord just asked. Mm -hmm. Now look back in verse 9 of John one. There was a true light which was coming into the world that enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. All right. So now let's see what John answers them in verse 22. So what, that verse there is just saying this. Jesus came to his own people and they could not recognize him. All of their Old Testament prophecies right, would right, basically right. shine a light on saying, this is him, this is him, this is him. And what we're saying, no, get away from us. Why? Because their idea of who the Christ was, their interpretations of the prophecies, they're looking for a conqueror. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is coming to conquer death by dying. And it don't make sense to them. Their hearts are full of unbelief and so they can't see him. You see? So what is Elijah doing? What is John the Baptist doing? Calling them out in their unbelief. Right. And telling them to turn from their unbelief and rejection and turn back to God. Mm-hmm. And what is the what was the people's reaction to Elijah? Well, we'll see that in just a few minutes. So in verse 22, they said to him, Who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? Why do you say about your, what do you say about yourself? And watch what John says. I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they had, been, they had been sent for the Pharisees. They asked him, and they said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you were not Christ or Elijah nor the prophet? John answered and said, I baptize in water, but one stands among you who you don't know. It is he who comes after me, the throng of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So, they say, Who are you then? If you're not Elijah, if you're not Elijah and you're not, the prophet. They're looking literally for Elijah to come. Yep, that's exactly. They're literally looking for Elijah. All right. Who does John the Baptist tell him he is? John the Baptist. No, he does not say that he is John the Baptist. In verse twenty-three, what does he say? I am a oh. voice of Mine one. Mine says, "I am the voice of." The one crying out in the wilderness and make straight the way of the Lord. Good. But that is what the Old Testament said, so. The Old Testament said. That he would do that. That he would do that. So who is he claiming to be? The fulfillment of those Old Testament prophets. He's the dude. That's the 
the, the voice. That's yeah. preparing the way. That's exactly right. Okay. He's the voice crying in the wilderness. But again, they're still literally looking for Elijah. They're looking for Elijah, and they miss him because he's not literal. The prophecy is not. The prophecy is literal, but it's not Elijah himself. It's the role of Elijah. It's what played out. Right. So Elijah is actually a picture of John the Baptist. Who is actually a picture of who? Jesus. Because what does Jesus do? Jesus does the very same thing that Elijah and John the Baptist does. He points out their sins. Mm -hmm. And he calls them to repentance. It said... Yeah. Which Elijah and John the Baptist cannot do. That's exactly right. But they make the way clear for them to be saved. And so Jesus is what all this is about. And John the Baptist is pointing them to Jesus. So the disciples said, why then do the scribes say Elijah must come? And how did Jesus answer them? He said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. So they said, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come? And what does Jesus say? He is coming. And he will restore all things. So why do the scribes say that Elijah must come? Because the Old Testament prophecies say that he must come. And he must. And if the Old Testament prophecies say that something's going to happen, it has to happen. It's going to happen. Our problem, their problem, is that we can't see the fulfillment because we're we can't see the forest for the trees. Right? We can't see the forest for the trees. We can't we can't grasp the reality. They couldn't grasp the reality. So what is John the Baptist claiming? I am the fulfillment of Malachi three and I am the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter forty. I am the voice that has come to make way the way for the Lord. What do the people do with his voice? I don't know. All right. Well, let's look. He answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. Jesus is telling them that the scribes are teaching right. They're right when they're predicting, but they have failed to recognize when that prediction was fulfilled. They, the prophecies are being fulfilled before their very eyes and they can't see them. Why would it be that prophecies are being fulfilled before mine and your eyes and we can't see them? What would be the reason for us not being able to see them? Okay, so one reason that we would not see a prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes is because we simply don't believe. Mm. Unbelief. Right? right. What would be another reason why they couldn't see it? Unbelief is a major one, isn't it? If you don't believe, you will not see. I would say that would be the main one. That would be the main one. What would be another reason? Well, let's look at the prophecy. The the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah. Did he come? 
Did the Messiah come? Yes. Did He come according to the Scriptures? Yes. Did He come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey just like Zachariah said yes. He was going to do? Right? And They described all of that. He fulfilled all of it, didn't He? <laughs> but they couldn't see it, could they? No. no. Why? Because of their I own unbelief, their own misunderstandings and misinterpretations of the prophecies. And their own self-will, self-righteousness, and self-sufficiency. They did not want a Savior who was going to come and die. They wanted a Savior that was going to come and conquer death. But how did Jesus conquer death? By dying. By dying. And they couldn't grasp it with their mind. He died, and then when he rose, he conquered death. Yes. Because he right. rose from But death. that don't make sense to them. Right. If you die, you lose. Death wins. Right. But he they couldn't see that. That is a lot to grasp. Sure it is. Yeah. Resurrection from the dead is something that none of us can grasp. Oh. It's why we still get sad at funerals. If we truly in the depths of our heart had a grasp on the beauty of God's salvation and what true resurrection is, and we truly know that our loved one that we're putting in the ground is alive with Christ. We wouldn't even be sad at all. I'm happy that my dad's in heaven, but it's sad that I have to live on this earth without him. Sure. Jesus wept at the tomb. There's nothing wrong with us in our human nature being sad. But what what is the deal here? These prophecies are being fulfilled right before their very eyes. Elijah's come. Did they say, did the scribe say Elijah must come? Well, see, when they asked point blank, are you Elijah? Told no. Yeah, but if he'd have told that him, is confusing though. But if he would have told him yes, what would they have done? Probably killed him. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Either way, you see. Right. So what did he say? I'm the I'm the fulfillment of the prophecy. Right. And what did they do? No, you're not. You see. So their reactions to the prophets. All of that had to take place because sure. Jesus had to die on the cross Good. so that he could beat death and we could be saved. That's exactly right. But they couldn't see it. And the truth of the matter is until we we're saved. We wouldn't have either. Yeah, to, to tell the truth, we wouldn't either. That's exactly right. right. It's right. one of the reasons why, uh, God, how I love my, my dispensational brain. And, and I, I would be the first to admit that I don't have a grasp on eschatology last things, last times, that kind of stuff. Yeah. As good as I would like. Right. But don't you think find it funny that we have all kind of different camps of people that believe in different ways that the end times are going to play mm-hmm. out? Why? Because we all have our own interpretations of what the scriptures say. And what's the reality? The reality is the very the smartest of the day, the right. scholars and the the scribes and the they missed it. It was right there in front of them and they missed it. Yeah. And sometimes I struggle with the forgiveness part. I mean, I've done some horrible things in my life, and I know that I'm forgiven. But sometimes you still regret, and you still carry that sure. around. But and that's okay. That's that's actually a good thing. That's not bad. Jesus said in in Ezekiel 36, He said, "I will take you out of that land. I will wash you clean with water. I will rip that heart of stone out of you. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will fill you with my spirit, and you will walk in a way that you would have never desired on your own." But right after all that's true. But after that, He said this, and you will loathe yourself. You will look back on your life and loathe okay. yourself. Like there will be a disgust. There is a disgust. In who you are, why? So because it's not about who. Because it's not about who you were in Adam. 
Right. It's about who you are in Christ. Oh, and you have to die to Adam in order to live in Christ. And as you grow in Christ... But sometimes that creates doubt. Well, I mean, I know that I'm forgiven. Doubt is unbelief. Mm-hmm. It's unbelief. It's the reason we weep at a funeral. Now, if the person that died and we're at their funeral and they're in hell, there's a reason for us to weep for them. Yeah. But if we truly believe and, and know in our hearts that someone was a child of God, there would really be no reason to weep. But we, there's still that fallen part of us that can It was selfish, actually. Sure. I don't want to live on this earth sure. without my dad, but he's got his reward in heaven. Yep. My brother, on the other hand, yeah. is probably not in heaven. So, to wind up the class, because Lori yeah, said we're we gonna have to go. leave. Wait a minute, I, I, know, I, I had five minutes oh. early. I give it, let me let me sum up what some of the things we've been talking about today. So, number one, Moses was a lawgiver, a lawgiver. Elijah, a prophet. They both, Moses and Elijah, both pointed to Christ, who is the true prophet and who is the true lawgiver all of the laws point to christ everything in the scriptures point to christ Mm -hmm. and it is up to us to see christ in all of the scriptures the reason that we miss it is because of doubt and unbelief so what can our reactions be when the law when we are confronted with the law or when we are confronted with the prophets when we are confronted with our sins that you are an adulterer or that you are a thief, or that you are a murderer, or that you are a liar. What would our reactions be to that? One, we could reject it and say, no, that's not true. Two, we could put our fingers in our ear and go, ah, la, 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 I can't hear you. Or three, we can accept it and turn away from our sin and turn back to Christ and find His grace and His mercy and His salvation. Um, and so the same thing happened with the lawgiver and the prophets. Think about what happened to John the Baptist. He lost his head, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Because he called someone out on their sin and they were not willing to receive it. All right? So remember, all of those people... They could, even his own disciples were like, What do you mean Elijah has already come? And they couldn't see it. Why? Because they were looking for a fit for physical Elijah. Elijah to come when John the Baptist was actually the Elijah that had come. Meaning what? He was the prophet that had come to call them and, back. And to at least right. they should have had questions like I did. You know? Well, they did. They were asking questions, but then but at I the mean, end. The questions about right? their identity, the questions about this is almost exactly. But then at the end, in verse 13, then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. So they grasped it, you see? One last thing, and then we'll one last thing we'll close. Please remember this. Uh, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said this right before they nailed him to the cross. Because of this, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill, and some of them you will crucify. And others you will flog in your synagogues and persecute in town after town. And so upon you will come all of the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple altars. All right, so Jesus said, 
Um, I say to you, Elijah has already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood he was talking about John the Baptist. So you see what Jesus said? Elijah has come, and they do to him exactly what they're going to do to me. Why? Because all of them point us to Christ, who is the true lawgiver, who is the true prophet. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, who was there with him? Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the prophet. Why? To point everyone to who Christ is. Right. And our reaction to the law, our reactions to the prophets, are going to be our reaction to Christ. And what do people do with Christ? What do people do with the law and the prophets when they're confronted with them? What did Jesus just say? From Abel to Zechariah. Abel is the first person that was murdered in the Old Jewish Old Testament. Now remember the New Testament had been written when Jesus was saying this. And uh, 2 Chronicles... Yeah, the Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, is killed in Second Chronicles. That's the last book in the Jewish Bible. So what Jesus is saying is, every righteous man that I've sent to you, from Abel, what did Cain do to his brother? Killed him. From Abel to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, every one of my prophets, every one of my lawgivers that I've sent to you, you've rejected them, you've killed them, you've spattered their blood, and you're going to do the same to me. And then the disciples recognized that he was talking about John the Baptist. You see, they they got to see the forest now. That, the, the disciples did. Right. The Jews still ain't right. seen it. That's exactly right. And neither are the, <laughs> the world around us in unbelief. So, I hope that answers your question, Lori. It helps. See what he said. He said, the first question, Elijah must come. Why must he come? Because in the Old Testament it said he was going to come. The second thing that Jesus said is, Elijah is coming. Had, is he coming? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? And then he said, Elijah has already came. So that prophecy had already been fulfilled. John had called them to Christ. And Christ was here to restore all things. But the reality is, today, in the world we it live in... It would have been too simple if you just said, John the Baptist is coming and he's going to appear. We, like he one. wants us to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Okay. He wants us to figure it out. And so, even in the world that we okay. live in today, remember, in the world we live in today, is the law still preached? Are the prophets still pe- preached? And do people still react the same way today to the law and prophets that they do? Pretty much. Yes. And we're the same way. Right. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this day. Please help us to remember that you are a loving and caring and compassionate and gracious God. Um, forgive us for taking advantage of that grace. And, and treading over uh, your love for us. And so help us not to do that. Help us to recognize our need for you. Help us to recognize the world around us need for you. And give us the light and the, the life to be able to share with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.